Hello. You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout the city of brotherly love. I'm your host, Derek Hengeville. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7 p.m., held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I am speaking with an attorney, Richard Vanderslice, about the Conservatorship Act and how developers can utilize it. Rick's practice focuses on real estate, probate, and business litigation. He is the past chair of the Real Property Section for the Philadelphia Bar and has served as a board member for six years. In that context, he participated in the working group that created the General Court Order for Act 135 cases in Philadelphia. To date, he has filed approximately 75 of these cases in Philadelphia and has consulted with attorneys in Allentown and Pittsburgh regarding the implementation of the Act. I hope you enjoy our conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. So without further ado, Rick, how are you? Great. Thank you, Derek. And I wanted to thank you for inviting me to speak tonight. Um, I've read a lot about the Jumpstart program and, and the, what the what it provides to the members. And I think it's a really great service for the city. And, and I think it's it's really helping redevelop some some uh, parts of the city that could really use it. Thanks, Rick. Um, and we're happy to have you. You know, mentor or speakers like you are, are exactly what makes the program so valuable. Um, you know, this is these Monday night sessions are sort of a um, like supplementary course to our training program and covering special topics just like this, like the Conservatorship Act, is extremely beneficial. And I'm sure a lot of people here you know, would prefer to hear it from someone who knows about it themselves rather than try and, you know, decipher some online description of it. <laughs> um, so, so thanks for being here and thanks for offering your time. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Cool. So um, let's just jump right into it. And maybe you can just tell me a little bit about how the Conservatorship Act came about and what, what factors led to it and, and sort of just, uh, you know, as plainly as you can tell us what it is. Okay. Um, well, it came about in, in 2008, but it really wasn't implemented until uh, around 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, before the Conservatorship Act, uh, if you had a problem property, um, you had to use other legal tools uh, to try and do something about it. It usually ended up costing you a lot of money, and there was very little permanent result. Um, for example, if, if, if someone's had a tree on a lot next to you and it was growing into the foundation of your property, um, you know, you could sue them, get some money judgments, pay an attorney like me a lot of money and probably wouldn't see as, as much uh, results as you desire. Um, this came about with Representative Taylor's and Representatives Taylor and Walco um, authoring this act uh, to try and combat a lot of the blight in, in their cities. Uh, Representative Walco, who's now a judge in in Pittsburgh or Allegheny County, and Representative Taylor's from Philadelphia, 
Um, so they saw the need for the revitalization of a lot of the neighborhoods and, and thought that, that this would be a good start. Um, and basic overview is, is it allows uh, a uh, petitioner to file with the court to take uh, possession of a property as kind of a trustee to uh, make repairs and get it back into productive use. Um, the first uh, one was, like I said, filed in 2011. Um, since then, uh, at last count, there were probably close to 200 filed in Philadelphia and Allegheny counties, probably at, uh, I'd say 30, 40. Um, and some of the other counties are starting to get a few, but yeah. So has it has there been a a, a steep or a, a constant increase of how many cases you've been taking on, or has there been like like high or humps and and valleys, or you know, has has it gotten more more prominent in the past couple of years, or would you say it's been consistent since its development? Um, it, it has definitely uh, become uh, used more frequently uh, mm-hmm. in the last five years. Okay. Uh, as the as the different parts of the city have started supporting the the value that uh, it takes to rehabilitate these properties. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, if, if the property doesn't have enough equity in it to support uh, the rehab, you have to have a really good reason to want to do it um, otherwise. But um, there has been a steady uptick, which uh, about five years ago began to be quite a few. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, there's been one or two nonprofits that have done a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and now uh, a lot of developers are seeing the uh, power, how powerful this tool can be uh, right. when it comes to a problem property uh, that is near your development or um, adjacent to it. Cool. Well, that's great because I'm sure the people in this call are going to be added on to that group that's just getting around to, to understanding the value of it. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about your experience with it. Like, how are you involved? How do you interact with the, the legal substance of it? Okay. Um, well, I, I'm an attorney and um, basically uh, it's a good idea to have an attorney file one of these because they can get kind of complicated. Sure. Um, I'm not aware of anyone who's following on their own. That's not an attorney, but um I, I get involved when, when someone identifies a property and, and has been looking on the internet to try and figure out what this is. Um, and so uh, basically you look into uh, what the title history of it is, um, whether or not there have been violations issued by the city, which is, is not necessarily dispositive, but you know it's a good sign that it's a problem property. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you determine whether or not it uh, is a blighting property, which, you know, is a, is a legal definition, but it, it's something um, that, you know, when you see it, I mean, it, it, it's those boarded up properties that, you know, sometimes all one eyes clean and sealed. Sometimes it's just wide open. Sometimes the back's falling off. Um, but, you know, then you would, you would come to an attorney like me and, and, and we would, prepare a petition for the court uh, to ask that the court appoint a conservator, um, which is kind of like a trustee that will uh, do the repairs to the property. So so how much of the legwork in kind of the investigation of the property is done by the developer versus yourself? You know, is is someone building their case and then bringing it to you and you'll say, yeah, this is accurate or not accurate? Or or are you guys working together to kind of figure out and, and, and really determine if it is a blighted property? 
most of the time it's collaborative. Um, you know, uh, typically a someone who has not uh, used the act before will, will have questions. Um, you know, what's it about? And we talk about it and then talk about the property that that's causing them problems. Um, that generally results in, in taking pictures, um, looking up the LNI history, uh, making sure it qualifies under the act. I know we're going to get into some of this more specifics in a minute, but um, after that process, uh, really the, the main investigation is trying to get uh, people on the block to help support your petition, ideally by showing up in court, which is a lot harder than it sounds. Um, it's it's quite often that there are a lot of people that want see want to see something done, but once you start doing it, um, they aren't as inclined to help or at least show up in court. You know, it's um, for various reasons. <laughs> I'm sure sure. You can or, or there's some cases where you might think they're on your side, and then you get there, and they're not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's actually pretty rare, but okay. uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, the other side will get to them, <laughs> put it that way. Right, right. Um, Typically, it's been a problem for a while, and, and most people will want to help you remedy that. Gotcha. Um, so, so it sounds like, you know, the borrower is kind of bringing their case as to why it's affecting them and why it's their pro or a problem relating to their, you know, business or development, and you're kind of coming from the standpoint of, Let's identify, you know, what the problems are of the property in general and, and like the status of it. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And um, it, there, there are specific problems that we have to point out to the court that, that make it qualify for the act. But um, generally, if, if it's if it's a problem enough to where you're seeking, you know, legal help to deal with it, it's mm -hmm. going to usually going to fit into the rubric for the court. Gotcha. Um, so, so. Next, I want to, can you tell me a little bit about like what being the conservator means? I mean, it's called the Conservatorship Act. You know, it, you become a conservator. What implications does that have and what sort of context does that have in, in like owning the property or, or managing it and, and developing it? Well, if the court um, agrees with you about the condition of the property and, and, and finds that you qualify to be a conservator, which involves, you know, having a plan to remedy the property, as well as having the finances to, to do it. Um, what it means is you basically become the trustee of a property. Um, you have all the rights of an owner except title, which is, you know, that's one of the first questions I get most of the time is, do I get the deed to the property? Do I get title to the property? No, what you are is uh, effectively a caretaker who is going to fix the property um, and then sell it for uh, a 20% markup or, you know, there are a couple other ways that these things go, but um, that's generally um, what a conservator is. I, I, I think this is a good, good point to uh, give my usual admonishment. It's not an ideal um, acquisition strategy. Uh, you want it to be a, or it should be a property that is, you have Another reason why it would increase the value of your project. For example, you have a vacant next door to um, a property that you're developing. It's a no-brainer. You know, it's it's bringing the value of your property down. It's probably going to start causing damage once you get um, your envelope. 
And uh, so that makes uh, a lot of sense. And you're going to have other financial benefits other than just uh, whether or not it goes through the Conservator Act. Um, if you're just driving around town, you see an abandoned property, you say, oh, I'd like to acquire that property. That's not really what this act is designed for. It's designed to take care of a problem that's uh, relatively uh, in the near neighborhood, um, technically within 2,000 feet of a property that you own. Um, there are nonprofits that, that have the ability to go within five miles of, prop, of their radius and uh, help with properties in that way. And if, if, if you don't fit the, the distance criteria, then, then that's another option. Gotcha. And just so I can get that number again, you said for, for not a nonprofit, for like a developer, what's the radius? You said 2000? For, for a for-profit entity or a neighbor, mm -hmm. for example, uh, it is 2000 feet from the property that you own. Gotcha. Um, so for example, if, if your business is, is 2000 feet from a property that meets the criteria, or if um, yeah, one of your developments uh, is 2,000 feet from uh, the problem property, that qualifies. I mean, it doesn't have to be where you live. Right. Uh, it's, it's where you have a business or, or doing business, which uh, developing uh, real estate counts as a business. So Great. cool. Um, so so I, I wanna touch on something you mentioned. You said that, you know, it, you, the only right that you don't get as a conservator is the title, right? So Correct. does that mean that you already said that you can sell it for a 20% markup? Um, what about renting? Is that something that people do with, with a property that they've acquired through conservatorship? That is, uh, that is a possibility under the act. It's the act provides for it. And frankly, I've never heard of uh, it happening. Okay. Um, I would suggested as a strategy if the property did not have the equity to complete the project. So if it's a problem property next to one of your developments, uh, but it's not going to have the equities to support the rehab, um, meaning what you have to put into fit, it, um, then uh, rental is an option. Um, the rental is under court supervision. So it's not as, uh, easy an option as, as just selling the property. But um, yeah, it's, it is an option. Uh, it's an option that I'd love to try, but haven't had the right project present itself. Sure. And, and all these sorts of things, like whether you're going to sell it or whether you're going to rent it or, you know, whatever is going to happen to it in the end, that's all developed through the, the process that the, the collaboration between you and the developer, right? You're, you're Correct. Kind of we, would, we would sit down and, and uh, from the, from our initial uh, discussion, identify the goals of what you want to do with the, uh, what, what you want the outcome to be um, and how best to go about achieving that. Um, uh, there are several uh, ways that the litigation can go um, and we can try and uh, talk about how that, how to make that happen. Yeah, sure, sure. Cool. Well, uh, let's move on to our, our next section here. I want to talk about how this, you know, relates to the new and inexperienced developers that are in this call. Um, you know, many of the people here maybe have never developed a property. They don't own any property. And this is just something they've heard about as a, you know, a term in the, in the real estate 
development industry. Um, how can they utilize it? And like, you already said that this isn't a good acquisition profit strategy. So, so what strategies would you recommend um, developers to take you or, you know, take advantage of, I want to say take advantage of it, but apply this to their, to their um, business strategy, you know? I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it's designed for either the, you know, pro one problem property left on the block or one of the several problem properties left on the block that's still vacant and, you know, in bad shape. Or if you're pioneering in a neighborhood, um, you know, that one, pro the property on the block that you think will help lift, you know, be the rising tide that lifts the, the rest of the ships. Um, so for a uh, uh, new or uh, relatively new developer, um, it would be, uh, you know, if you have a project and you think that uh, there's a property on the block that A fits the criteria and B uh, will benefit your project by um, going through the process. Uh, the act was amended in, 20, in 2014 uh, to give incentive to developers and nonprofits uh, before you would only, um, if you filed the act, if you filed and went through everything and completed it, uh, you would get uh, paid out of uh, the proceeds. Um, and what we were finding was a lot of um, de developers or anyone that's interested in the property would bring these actions and then the uh, owners would decide that, oh, I'm going to fix it. Or, you know, before you get to court, it's sold. And the, uh, the person that is, is, you know, trying to benefit the neighborhood kind of gets left holding the bag. So what the legislature decided was, hey, we want to incentivize this. We don't want this situation to happen. So uh, it built in a uh, remuneration structure so that um, once you file the petition and assuming it fits the criteria, um, you automatically get your attorney's fees back, you get your costs back, you get 20% uh, of whatever ends up happening with the property. So if someone, you know, you file and someone decides just to sell it, you are entitled to 20% of that sale price uh, for filing the action. And in context, you know, if you didn't pay anything for the property and you get all your legal fees back, that's a pretty good win, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is. Uh, it, it's just, it's uh, not as easy of, as a process as, as as one would like it to be. Um, I, I think it was conceived as, as a much more straightforward process and then people didn't take into account uh, how real estate works in Philadelphia. And, you know, I, I'm sure we've all dealt with uh, people who uh, know how to work L and I and the right. code enforcement court to, to the point where, you know, they get violations and nothing ever happens. Well, with the act, um, we can, you can actually affect change on one of those properties. So either it's gonna, the court's gonna turn it over you to do it because they've had enough chances or um, the court's going to closely supervise them. And if they don't do it, they turn it over to you to uh, remedy the property. Gotcha. Um, so, so again, going back to, you know, the people in this call and how they can utilize it. I mean, imagine most people's first endeavor in the real estate development game is going to be a single family home. Um, you know, 
whether it's a gut that they're or a gutted house that they're developing or you know i imagine a lot of people aren't doing new construction as their first project but say they are you know how practical is this for a single family single family home development you know is that something you see a lot is it usually larger or smaller projects than that or um i, I mean the majority of them uh that have gone through are usually a single family residence um i mean it, again it's not an acquisition type of a situation it's you know i'm building and the property next to it is a nightmare mm -hmm. or um you know uh, there's a property down the block where we know illicit things are going on and you know the neighbors want to take care of it and you have the wherewithal to do it because you know you're the developer on the block mm -hmm. um you know whether or not it's your first or third or fifth uh, project um, that will be taken into account, but um, you know, it's for first time developers, a lot of times you can get frustrated by um, the properties around you and not being able to do anything with them. Um, so uh, we've found that, uh, I mean, not only the developer has to do anything, but there are nonprofits out there that if it is a problem, and you want something done about it, uh, we can reach out to the nonprofit that will basically do everything. Um, so, you know, when you are uh, choosing your first or second or third property that you're going to develop and, and everything's great, you know, the, but there's a vacant that's boarded up and there's some guy sleeping on the porch. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, even if you can't do anything, there are several nonprofits in the city that, that will um, take on those projects. And, and believe me, they, they love nothing better than to have uh, motivated uh, participants in, in, in these. Um, so uh, that would be, you know, for a first time developer, that would probably be how it would come into use. Um, it sounds like, like regardless of what your intention is, like whether you are really invested in, in taking care of the property and doing the work yourself or, regardless of, of what the end use you want it to be, it sounds like they should still reach out and, and try and go through with this act because it, it's like somebody's going to solve it. Right. As long as it's addressed through this typically. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. I, I think it was the idea originally behind the act. I mean, getting back to the history a little bit, it was, it was uh, brought online when there was a lot more um, involvement by what are now called RCOs. They used to be called neighborhood development corporations. Mm -hmm. And they had a lot more funding. And, you know, the thought was these uh, neighborhood corporations would go in and fix these properties. This was kind of geared towards them. And then when it actually came into use, it started to be used by developers. And uh, one nonprofit in particular made it its mission and a couple more have sprung up. But um, it, was, it was not originally intended uh, as as much of a private sector uh, tool as it has become. And to its credit, the legislature realized that and amended the act to incentivize uh, private developers to take advantage of it. If you're just tuning in, this is an interview with Richard Vanderslice, an attorney, about the Conservatorship Act and how it can benefit developers. 
Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying our discussion. Great. Yeah, I, that. thanks for connecting the dots there. I mean, that makes sense of kind of how it's, it's like, you know, it was created as this, this perfect idea. And then it's like, oh, well, maybe there's this other need we can address by doing it. You know, people looking to not just the nonprofits that want to do it, but the people who live on the block who are like, you know, we need yeah, this. All- exactly. And, and um, unfortunately, or fortunately, yeah, depending on how you look at it, Philadelphia is one of the only cities that has a limitation this is the only city that has a limitation on um, the distance. So every other city, if it's across town, you can file on it. Um, it's just Philadelphia limited. Do you have any, why is that? Is it just like an antiquated law that's been, you know, held on to? I think, um, I think it came from the uh, idea that it would be neighborhood corporations using it mostly. Um, and it just really hasn't changed. I mean, we, we got to, it used to be 500 feet. So you, you had to own something within 500 feet, which is, I mean, it's 16 foot, it's, it's basically a block. Now you're, you know, two or three blocks. So, uh, yeah, that was a tough. Uh, I was gonna, do you see it expanding at all? Or do you see in the future, you know, Philadelphia addressing that, that kind of disconnect from the way other cities are doing it or? There, there are amendments that have been pending for a while. Um, I thought that there was going to be movement on it um, last spring, but um, life got in the way. Yeah. Uh, a micro got in the way. So we're hoping that uh, there will be some amendments soon um, that will increase the radius for private developers. Um, but, uh, and, and some other changes that will make it more uh, effective tool for uh, private developers as well as nonprofits. But, um, you know, that's kind of the will of the legislature and we got to, we got to wait for Harrisburg to do its thing. <laughs> so. yeah, we're, you're making do with it, with what you have right now. Um, so, so, you know, we're, we're not running short on time, but it's, it's flying by. So, so I want to kind of get into the nitty gritty of things now and we can talk yeah, about eligibility. Um, So, so, you know, I'm sure there's hundreds of stipulations that you could go through, but maybe in the most efficient way, you could <laughs> you explain it to me. What makes a property eligible? You know, what what are what are those like key factors that people are looking at that they're saying, oh, this this would go through, this wouldn't go through. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I think it, it'd be easier to start with what makes it ineligible because that knocks things out of the box right away. Right. If the property's it has to be a vacant property and it has to have been vacant for the last 12 months. Um, Vacancy does not include squatters. So if you have a good reason to believe that someone's squatting or um, using the property illegally, for example, uh, you know, it's a blighted property that someone's illegally hooked up electricity. um, That's not a legal use of the property. Another thing is if the property's in foreclosure, it's not, this remedy is not available. Um, if it's been conveyed within the last six, six months, um, there are some certain, you know, where states are involved that that's not a, a problem, but that would knock it out as well. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, if it's been listed by a licensed real estate agent for a reasonable price, um, 
you know, there, there've been some people who have caught wind of this that have these are land banking, these properties and um, you know, listing them for a million dollars for a shell and, you know, brewery town, which you might be able to get a hundred thousand, but you know, it better be pretty close to style street or something. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what knocks it out from the beginning. Um, Once you, once you clear those hurdles, uh, we have to prove to the court that uh, it, there's some kind of illicit activity. Well, one of three of these factors, which we're trying to get increased in the in the new amendments. But um, basically, whether it's a public nuisance, which is kind of a catch-all, you know, if it's if it's a problem property, um, we can get several uh, qualifying factors under that. Um, if it's been boarded up by LNI or is wide open to to public entry. Um, if you see kids playing in it um, and can get a picture of it, especially um, if the uh, property has been used for illicit purposes. So, you know, it's, if it's, a, if it's used for a drug house, if people are uh, using it for um, sex work, um, if, you know, there's graffiti uh, even, um, but uh, there are a few others that, you know, trash and debris, which is obvious. Um, if there's problems with the structure, the front's bowing, if it's missing doors and windows, um, usually uh, the front of the property can look okay, but the rear of the property, you know, in Philadelphia, they get pretty bad pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the bump outs falling down or the, the rear bay is, hanging on by a thread, that kind of thing. Um, so usually if you can get uh, back in the alley or, um, you know, behind the property, that's usually where you find the most problems with the property, even if it looks okay from the front. Gotcha. So, so all of the things you've described right now sound like um, issues with structures, things that are built on the property. It, right. How often is there a, you know, a case made for something like an empty lot or, or, um, maybe like an empty lot with a car in it or something. Is that common or is it always a structure? Um, it, it's not common, but it's done. Um, so if the lot's in bad shape, um, a car sitting on there for several years is a good example. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, if it's in a developing area, there's going to be short dumping. Um, you know, people just throwing their contractor waste. I've had, I had one case where um, the property we were filing at was on was a dwelling and my client owned the lot next door. And the guy just took everything that was in the property out and threw it on my client's property. We had to go to the court and be like, Hey, yeah, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't what it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there's, there's a lot of ways to prove that, that these properties fit the criteria. Gotcha. Cool. Well, that, was, that was a great recap. Thank you. Um, so, so now kind of if you could make the case um, for people who, who are like, maybe somebody's thinking, oh, there's this property right down the block from my development. This is going to be perfect. Um, what are some of the benefits of it and the pitfalls of going through with the conservative process um, that you would warn them of? You know, is there anything that you're saying? I guess we kind of went through a lot of this, but maybe if you just can think of any key points where it's like, this is what you want to like your goal should be this or you know look out for this is sure there, yeah 
Well, the, the obvious benefit is, is it puts it into productive use and um, hopefully will increase the comps in your, in your, in your area. Um, you know, one thing I, I don't want to leave the impression of is, is that you have to fully rehabilitate the property. Um, what you can do is bring it to what I call a clean envelope. Um, basically, make sure the exterior of the property is in good shape, um, not blighting, you know clean the front, repair the rear, sometimes repair the roof and make sure that all the joists and everything are structurally sound inside. Mm -hmm. And then you can sell it out to someone who's going to finish the development. Right. Um, and you still get the 20% for doing that um, amount of work, which, uh, you know, is often more than it sounds, but um, mm -hmm. it helps move the project along um, where you don't have to put as large of a capital outlay. Mm -hmm. um, the the benefits you know uh, other than monetary and you know uh, helping your block where your project is or your area where your project is mm -hmm. is that i mean you're more welcomed by the neighborhood so when you do your next project they're at the rco meeting you know saying hey this is a great person who fixed this property that's been uh uh a problem down the way or you know you're trying to get something rezoned by city council and you have a neighbor going, Hey, she did, you know, she took care of this property on my block. I really want this person to get this zoning. The pitfalls are um, one out of every 20 is going to have someone that is just totally irrational and will fight it to the tooth and nail. And um, you know, I've had someone file an injunction against uh, someone that has my client who was appointed the conservator and uh, the Department of License and Inspection for two other properties to try and keep us from, you know, rehabilitating that one property and keep them from tearing down the other one. Right. So she was kind of making our case for us. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the pitfall is, is it's, it's a legal process and you never know what you're going to get on the other side. Um, it could be as, as simple as, you know, Oh, I didn't even know that property was in our family. Yeah. Do whatever you want with it here. You know, I'll sell it to you. Right. Um, at the very first one that I did, which was I, the fourth one filed in the city. Um, it was an old VA post that had been taken over by the mob at one point and was sitting blighted. Um, and by the time we tracked down which VA was responsible for it, um, they basically said, we don't want anything to do with it. Take it. And, you know, that's yeah. every now and then, um, right. quite often the people just want to get, get it off their hands. Um, there's, when you run into a family home, um, that's a home that's been in the family for a while, people will usually try and fight you, but have the means to really take care of it, which is probably the saddest situation to get involved in. Um, and then there's the, the land bankers, which has nothing to do with the ambic law that is used. It's, it's, it's what we used to call people who acquired property just to take out mortgages and, and use it for other stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, it, it's not as common now because you can't get the property as cheap as you used to be able to, but um, they still own them and they're still a problem because they're waiting for, you know, gold. Right. <laughs> There's no gold. Right. But that's, that's a, when you run into any of those, it's, it, it, it can be a problem.
but sure yeah and i and i i appreciate your honesty and the fact that one out of 20 around something like that is going to be a problem property um and i think yeah. that's something important to take into consideration um but but you know hopefully and i would imagine that the like you mentioned the collaboration between the attorney yourself and the developer a lot of that is trying to mitigate that risk and, and hopefully that there's no big problems like that down the line right yeah exactly and and I can usually get a good sense for it by either the L and I history or, you know, uh, sure. there, there are a lot of things that, that, that <laughs> shoot up red flags, you know, and that's why, and that's why nobody has done it themselves. Right. That's why it's a attorney, <laughs> yeah. attorney <required> process. <laughs> I know some attorneys that have done it themselves, but other than that. <laughs> right. Um, okay, great. So, so next, I would just want to, you know, we don't have too much time left, but maybe we can finish on this. Uh, let's talk about the process. You know, so say you've made the case for somebody in this call. They're saying, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly the strategy I think I need to take to, to you know, raise my comps or help my block clean up or, or whatnot. Where should somebody start? You know, what's their first step? And, and I'm sure the process becomes clear as they begin it. But um, maybe you can just give a brief outline of like start to finish what, what the conservatorship process looks like. So it, it typically starts with a title report. Um, you want to make sure you know who owns it. Uh, in Philadelphia, that's not always that clear. Uh, you also want to know what kind of liens are against it. Um, uh, one thing is uh, municipal liens. So when you become conservator, everything that you spend on the property is, becomes a lien. And that, um, that lien supersedes all liens except for municipal liens. So for example, if there's an old mortgage, um, and they don't participate in the action, it gets wiped out. Uh, so everything except taxes and L&I uh, gets wiped out. So that's another uh, part of the evaluation that we would take on in the, uh, initially. Um, then real quick, I mean, we would finish our investigation. That usually includes pictures, uh, developing a plan for the rehabilitation that we're going to present to the court, filing with the court to tell them, you know, this is the property, this is what's wrong with it, and this is who owns it. And these are the lien holders. Um, we have a hearing. Uh, the court decides whether or not uh, the property meets the criteria and whether or not um, the person who owns it shows up, says, judge, I'm going to fix it. I've been meaning to fix it. I've, you know, okay, you got 60 days to do X. Um, or the judge says, no, you've had your chance. It's, you know, we're appointing a conservator and assuming the conservator has a good plan and, and, and the financials, the court will uh, appoint the conservator. Then you get into the property, uh, you look at, you, you figure out what can be done with it. Um, come back to the court and say, this is, you know, this is our plan. The court usually approves it. Sometimes they want some tweaks. Um, then once the plan's approved and, and frankly, while the plan is being approved, you're securing the property and you're um, taking out insurance. Um, and after your plan's approved, basically you just finish that up. When you're done, you tell me and I file a petition with the court to sell it or um, dispose of it in other ways. Um, one question I invariably get is whether or not you can um, buy it yourself out of the conservatorship. Uh, the answer is a qualified maybe. Um, it really depends on, on the judge and, and how they're perceiving what's going on in this whole thing. Um, I, I can tell you it's, it's been done several times. Um, 
I can't tell you it will work on every project, mm -hmm. but you, you sell the property uh, or whatever, however the property is disposed of. You rent the property if you, if you want to try that, um, <laughs> then, uh, then the court uh, basically awards you your fees and liens and my fees and your experts and your architects and, you know, all that good stuff. So I'm sure it's a, a spattering all across across the line, but what is the timeline you would estimate? You know, is it one month process, three months, six months? Well, the pre-COVID timeline would be, you know, uh, we, we could get you appointed and uh, get you ready to go probably within three or four months. And then the timeline depends on how long it takes um, to do whatever rehabilitation you want to do. If someone's, doing a full rehab, it's going to take, you know, a year. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, once you get done with the, your rehab, then we're, uh, you know, petitioning the court and that takes a month, 45 days uh, to wrap up. Well, then you got title companies involved. So um, that can add some time, but I, I mean, on a typical Philadelphia row house um, in normal times, um, it would, I would generally say six to nine months. Okay. Uh, now it's at least 12. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I hear you there because I don't think we've had a single speaker come onto one of these. That's like, Oh, we're just as fast as we were before. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. There's always, always that simulation. Um, so, so, uh, but I, I've gotten a little better. I mean, I, the eclipse system, once you get used to it, it's not yeah. too bad. We've had um, them come on and speak of these um, a couple of times, and we had him, or Will Fernandez from LNI, come speak at our um, our training program, um, and they definitely are, are consolidating all their efforts into making sure that it's getting back to the, the timeline as it was before. That concludes my conversation with attorney Richard Vanderslice about the Conservatorship Act. I hope you learned a little bit more about positive real estate development. Next week, I'll be speaking with a Jumpstart Germantown mentor, Matt Wall, about property management and the decision to do it yourself or contract out. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, visit gojumpstart.org to see our how-to guide and our open source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. And be sure to tune in next week.